0: And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, to, and he said into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John's, John baptized with a baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and three, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when... Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks.
1: You know, I moved to Atlanta in 1990. And then, interestingly enough... Six years later, we moved away to Orlando. Now, in those six years being in Atlanta, I grew to to love Atlanta, to to really enjoy my life here in Atlanta. But God would have it that we would move to Orlando. And we moved to Orlando, and we stayed in Orlando for five years. But Orlando never felt like home. Always seemed like we were on vacation, like everybody else in Orlando. And therefore, uh, when we had opportunity, and God was pleased to allow us to move back to Atlanta, we jumped at the opportunity to do so. Orlando was great, but it was not Atlanta. And getting back to Atlanta was the hope from the beginning. I'm reminded of that as I read here in Acts chapter 19. When Paul leaves off from his second missionary journey, if you read back in Acts chapter 18, he leaves Ephesus. And when he leaves Ephesus, after having been there for a short period of time, and he returns back to Antioch, before he leaves Ephesus, he tells the saints in Ephesus that if the Lord wills, I will return to you again. And what happens in Acts chapter 19 is, is Paul now begins his third missionary trip. and on this third missionary trip, one of his primary destinations was the city of Ephesus. And so we see hey, He keeps his promise. God is faithful, and Paul returns to Ephesus. Ephesus was a significant city. It was a popular place. It was important in the life and the, and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It was a strategic city, and no doubt Paul saw this. Paul saw how strategic Ephesus could be in the mission that God had called them to, in the spreading of the gospel, in the ushering in of the kingdom of God upon the earth. Therefore, as we shall see in the coming weeks, Paul spent a great deal of time in Ephesus pouring out to them the word of God, teaching to them daily from house to house, sharing his life and ministry, the gospel with them over and over again. And therefore, we see that Ephesus becomes well-known in the the ministry of uh, the apostle. Ephesus becomes the recipient of one of his most well-quoted epistles and letters. So we have Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In it, we find some verses that are most memorable, like Ephesians chapter 2 and and verse 8, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It is Ephesus. It is in Ephesus, You, you might recall, that Paul would eventually assign Timothy to be pastor and leader of the church in Ephesus. And therefore, it is to Timothy in Ephesus that Paul writes his first and second letter to Timothy. So the Ephesians not only got Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but they also got first and second Timothy. A prominent church. So prominent was this church indeed that even in Revelation chapter 2, when our Lord is pleased to send letters, is to send messages to the churches, to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the Bible tells us that He sends this message to the church in Ephesus. In fact, the very first message is sent. To the church in Ephesus. It should remind us then the significance of the church that is gathered there. And there is, no, there is no doubt then that when Paul had opportunity by the grace of God to go back to Ephesus, he was eager and enthused to do so. And upon his arrival in Ephesus, what does he find? He finds a church. He finds a growing church, and he is encouraged, no doubt, by what he finds, and he is even excited when he meets these group of men, these 12 men, these disciples, who are involved in the fellowship, these disciples, who are apparently meeting with the churches in Ephesus. And as Paul begins to engage with them, apparently something was amiss. He must have heard something wrong in what they said. There was something about the way they were speaking. There was something about the way they were expressing their understanding of their faith. There was something in the way that they talked about what they believed. It was like the other day. I was, I was speaking with this gentleman about the things of God, and as we were talking, he sounded, sounded okay. But as we were talking and I listened more and more, and there was just something that was missing. Something was lacking. He spoke of God, he he even spoke of Jesus, but something wasn't right, and it wasn't long before I realized what it was, and I was speaking to a Jehovah's Witness. Likewise, it wasn't long, the conversation that the Apostle Paul realized with these Brothers, there was something wrong. Apparently, as they spoke, they spoke about God. But they only seemed to be speaking about the promises of God, but they apparently made no mention of the promises fulfilled. They spoke about repentance from sin, but there was no conversation about faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't that they said anything wrong, beloved. It was that they didn't say enough. Paul knew then that something was out of order, something was lacking in their understanding. They knew John the Baptist, but they did not know or speak rightly of the person of Jesus Christ. And so he asked them the question. He asked them a question. Now, beloved, I would have never thought to ask this question. And that's just uh, lack of understanding on my part. Inadequacy in my understanding. But Paul doesn't have my inadequacies. Paul doesn't lack my understanding. And therefore... He asked the question, to these men, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What an amazing question. It's a question that I doubt most of us would be thinking of asking. I know I would not be thinking of asking. I'd be asking a whole lot of questions, and I did. I asked a lot of questions of that Jehovah's Witness, but I never thought to ask him, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? But Paul gets right to the matter. It is an important question. Indeed, it, it would seem to be an unusual question, but yet on further reflection and thought, beloved, it is the most important question. was well, a most necessary question. The question of the Holy Spirit is important because... Of the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, there is no Christianity. And though these guys, these men, were called disciples, they did not know Christ. They believed. They believed in the teachings of John the Baptist, had been baptized by them, had even expressed a repentance for their sins. But they had not come to know Jesus. And yet they're called disciples. And what we have here, beloved, is what we can call Unregenerate disciples. And they are just as real in our day as they were when Jesus walked in Palestine. You know, Jesus was surrounded by unregenerate disciples. Those who walked with Jesus, those who listened to Jesus' teachings. Those who even probably quoted to others what Jesus was saying. You know what the Bible says in John chapter six, verse sixty six. It's a good verse to remember. John six sixty six. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Disciples. Turned back and no longer walked with him. It was fine to walk with Jesus when he was turning fish and loaves into a beach party. It was fine when he was feeding everybody when there was a joyous time. But when he began to teach of the necessity of life in him, the Bible says... After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Later on in chapter 6 and verse 70, Jesus answered them Did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil? How many disciples did Jesus choose? 12. How many disciples were there? Twelve. And one of those disciples was a devil. Don't miss it, beloved. The reality of an unregenerate disciple is real. John says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, encouraging the saints, says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that though they appeared to be with us, ultimately they were not of us. They look like disciples. They talk like disciples. But they were not true disciples. And what was the difference? What John says in 1 John chapter 20, the very next verse. But you have an anointing by the Holy One. In other words, John is saying, you have the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the difference. You have it since you believed. Beloved without Holy Spirit, Christianity is meaningless. It's meaningless. It is empty religion. It is an intellectual pursuit seeking nothing more than behavior modification. That's it. It is a lot of motion, but there is no movement. It is much to do about nothing. Without Holy Spirit, Christianity is a nice idea. It is an amazing story, but it has no power and there is no transformation. This is why the question that Paul asked was a most necessary question, an important question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And notice the answer they gave. They said, we have not even heard that there is Holy Spirit. Now these brothers weren't saved, but They gave an answer that I think a lot of Reformed people ought to give. Just kidding. Just kidding. If my brothers hear that on tape, I'm just kidding. Just a little. In other words, they were asking, what is Holy Spirit? What is that? Like the question that I was asked one time when I visited a Pentecostal church one time, and we were leaving the church and we were walking outside, and a gentleman came up to me and he said, "Excuse me, young man." I said, "Yes." He said, "Are you saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues? The Spirit give you evidence?" And I did that, Brad, just like that. <laughs> Excuse me. He didn't understand something. When, they, when he asks that question, what he's really asking, ultimately, he's asking, have I received the Holy Ghost? So as evidence by speaking in tongues. But beloved, what Paul is doing here, this is not a question concerning tongues. And if they had spoken in tongues, Paul was asking, brothers, are y'all really saved? This is a salvation question. A lot of people, a lot of people will read this verse and believe that, oh, okay, what's happening here is that these are some Christians and they haven't received the second blessing. They haven't received the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. They haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And when they get baptized by the Holy Spirit, it's evidence that they will speak in tongues. Paul is not concerned about whether or not these guys have spoken in tongues. Paul was concerned on whether or not they knew Jesus. And he knew that the only way you can know who Christ is if the Holy Spirit has come and revealed him to you. It's important important because these guys were in the fellowship. They had been followers of John the Baptist. They had believed John to be a prophet of God. They had followed John, but apparently they had not followed him all the way to Jesus. They were almost Christians. But as we shall see later on in Acts, almost Christian is no Christian at all. And so we ask the question, then why does Paul go down this line of questioning? Because, beloved, there is a necessity of the Spirit's work in our lives. You must have the work of Holy Spirit in your life. If you are Christian. And that first work is regeneration. Regeneration. The necessity of this question is the necessity of being born again. It's what Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 3. You must be born again. Then he goes on to say, you must be born of the Spirit. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you have been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit has to give you new life. You know, our salvation is accomplished by our triune God. This is so important to understand. That our God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's this God who saves us. God the Father chooses me. God the Son dies for me. God the Holy Spirit makes me alive. God the Father ordains that I would be saved from all eternity. God the Son comes into the work unto the earth and accomplishes my salvation upon the cross. And God the Holy Spirit makes me alive so that I can hear and understand and believe what God the Father and God the Son has done for me. It's so important. The Holy Spirit brings us from death to life. And therefore, understand what Jesus says when he says, unless you have been born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no kingdom of God for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might hear it in passing. You might be around kingdom people all day. You may even sing songs and say prayers. But without the work of Holy Spirit in your life, all of that is sound and fury signifying nothing. It's empty. You can do a lot of things and still be dead. Dead people do a lot of things. There are a lot of unsaved and unregenerate people singing gospel songs. It's a lot of unsaved and unregenerate people making CDs. There's a lot of unsaved and unregenerate people dancing in the church preaching on Sundays, even speaking in tongues. And the reality of it is they have not been born again. These disciples, beloved, had come a long ways. But Paul told them, I'm sorry, boys, you haven't come far enough. You haven't come far enough. You don't know Jesus because you don't have the Spirit of God. As he would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, Jesus is Lord, and the only way you can call him Lord is by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved without him. This is why it's so important that you raise the question. Have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? Is the Spirit your portion? You know why the Spirit is necessary? Because you have to be regenerated. And you can't regenerate yourself. That has to be the act of God. But not only is is the Holy Spirit necessary because you have to be regenerate, the Holy Spirit is necessary so that you can be even assured that you saved. So that you can be confident that what the work that God has done in Christ Jesus on your behalf is truly your portion. And this is what Paul reminds them too. The Spirit's work is not only regeneration. The Spirit's work is assurance, assurance. So you see that after Paul had explained to them the end of John the Baptist's ministry, see what he talks talks to them about who Jesus is. And he tells them that John the Baptist came preaching, not John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching Jesus. John said that there is one who is going to come after me. I baptize with water, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I must decrease, he must increase. If you followed the teachings of John the Baptist faithfully, they would have led you to Jesus. And so he goes on to explain to them, this is what John was talking about. And the baptism that you got from John was good, but it's not sufficient. You have to be baptized in Christ by the Spirit of God. And notice what happens in verse 5 of chapter 19. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. What's happening here, beloved? What's happening here? Well, what is happening here, beloved, is assurance. It is assurance. Ask yourself the question. After Paul had preached the gospel to them, After they had come to understand the gospel, after they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, how were they going to know that now they were really Christians? You know how they were going to know? God was going to assure them through the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He assures you, he assures me, that we are the children of God. This is about assurance, beloved. And notice here that the assurance didn't come from Paul because it doesn't come from the evangelist. Assurance does not come from the preacher. You can come and ask me for assurance until you're blue in the face, and I'll do my best to point you to the Scriptures. But ultimately, the assurance does not come from me. The assurance of your salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, again, this is why it is necessary to have a Holy Spirit. It is wrong, beloved, therefore, it is wrong to believe as some have in looking at this passage that, that you must speak in tongues in order to know that you have the Holy Spirit. And too many re- misrepresent this, this passage and, to the hurt and shame of so many faithful disciples of Christ. My mother, my mother has attended uh, Pentecostal churches for years, Church of God in Christ. I mean, for years. I can't remember when she wasn't attending the Pentecostal church. And every now and then, she's insisted I go to church with her. And it's not my first choice, but, you know, she's my mother. I obey my parents, Bob. One day, my mother calls me on the phone. And she says, Tony, I have a question. And I say, yes, mother, how can I help you? She says, how come I can't speak in tongues? She says, I've been going forward in church for the last few weeks. They've been praying for me and praying over me. And other people have gone forward, and they've received the Holy Spirit, but I go forward and nothing happens. What's wrong? How come I'm not speaking in tongues? And I say, well, mother, there's two things that's happening here. Okay, first of all, most of the people who are going forward and saying they're speaking in tongues, they lying. Okay, so don't be fooled. 99.9% of them are not speaking in tongues. And I would say 100%, but I, I'm not there. So the first thing, don't be fooled by that. They just up there repeating what they heard, coming in on Honda, coming in on Honda, coming in on Honda. (laughs) The second thing, mother, is that your salvation is not tied to speaking in tongues. Your acceptance with God is not tied to speaking in tongues. The reality of the Holy Spirit in your life is not tied to you speaking in tongues. You have the Spirit of God. Not because you speak in tongues, but because if you're saved... The Bible says that anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to Christ. If you're saved, you have him. For Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In verse 15, the Bible reminds us that I have the Spirit not because I speak in tongues, but I have the Spirit because I have the confidence that I can cry out, Abba Father. Abba Father, that I can get on my knees and cry out to God and know and have the confidence that He hears me. And He delights to answer. Not because I pray in tongues. But because I cry out like a child to his loving father. And he hears me and he comforts me. Beloved, the Bible is clear. Tongues are not for everyone. And even if you believe in the gifts of tongues as being legitimate, even for believers today, you you have to admit that in the Bible, not everyone who was saved spoke in tongues. The 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, chapter 2 and verse 41 says 3,000 were saved. That there doesn't say they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 38 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he gets saved and the Bible doesn't say anything about him speaking in tongues. Even Paul on the Damascus road, when he is saved, the Bible doesn't say anything about the Spirit coming upon Paul and suddenly he steps, breaks forth in tongues. What about Lydia's household in chapter 16? In verse 15, all of them were saved and were baptized. The Bible says nothing about them speaking in tongues. Because the issue here is not tongues. The issue is assurance. And God delights to assure his people that they are saved. And he may assure you in speaking in tongues. He may do that. That's his prerogative. But I'm here to tell you he normally doesn't. And if you're waiting to speak in tongues in order to be assured of your salvation, you may have a long wait on your hands. But there are other ways to know, beloved. There are other ways in which the Spirit of God assures us of our salvation. Can I share them with you this morning? I got four of them. Write them down. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ask yourself the question, do you loathe sin? The Spirit of God is a convicting spirit. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus says that when the spirit comes in the world, he will convict the world of concerning sin and unrighteousness and judgment. Do you ask yourself the question, do you loathe your sin? Is there a conviction of sin in your life? And it doesn't mean that you have no sin. For anyone who says they have no sin, remember the Bible says that they make God out to be a liar. So it's not that you don't have sin. The question is, when you sin, does it burn in your heart that you have grieved the heart of God? Does it bother you that you have grieved your father? Is there conviction in your heart that I have done wrong? Does it cause you to weep and to cry out to God for forgiveness? Beloved, if that is your portion, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I can tell you that is the work of the Holy Spirit, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit alone. Because when I, before I was saved and I was sinning, I wasn't asking forgiveness for anything, it didn't bother me a bit. There was no conviction. I slept well at night trying to figure out what we going to do the next night. It was when the Spirit, of the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And every time I spoke a word and I wasn't honoring every time thoughts, of dishonoring thoughts passed my mind. Every time I went someplace that I shouldn't go and did something that I shouldn't do, that, that, that conviction and the conviction of sin came upon me. Beloved, if that's you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself the question. Not if you're not sinning anymore, but ask yourself the question. Do you wish you didn't? That's the work of the Spirit in your life. But not only do you love sin, ask yourself the question, do you love Christ? Do you find yourself desiring to know and to love Christ more? But this is the work of the Spirit as he comes into the world. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible says that the Spirit will come to glorify Christ, to make Christ known. This is what he does. He exalts Christ to you so that you might know and love him more. Not the Christ of your imagination. Not the lowly Christ and the friendly Christ that the world likes to talk about. But I mean the Christ of the Bible. The biblical Christ who is Savior and who is judge. Do you love him? Yes, it may be imperfect. Yes, your love may for him may be inconsistent. It may be incomplete. But can you say in your heart of hearts, Lord, I love you. I'm not perfect, and I don't get it right all the time, but I love Christ. Can you sing? Oh. How I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Can you sing that? Does that warm your heart to say? Where does that come from? That is the work of Holy Spirit in your life. Not only that you loathe sin, but also that you love Next, the work is that, do you look fruitful? Do you look fruitful? Jesus said, you shall recognize them by their fruits. And the Holy Spirit is a fruit producer. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. And then Christ says in John chapter 15 and verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. What is the work of Holy Spirit in your life? It is he is working the fruit of the spirit through and in your life. That's the point. Are you looking fruitful? Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace, is there patience, is there kindness, is there goodness, is there faithfulness, is there gentleness, is there self-control? These are the evidences of the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me that you're speaking in tongues and therefore you have the Holy Spirit. Tell me that those tongues are producing in you a walk of love. Tell me that they're producing more joy. Tell me that you're being more patient. Tell me because you speak in tongues, there's more self-control, there's more gentleness. Tell me that those tongues are producing in you faithfulness. I don't care about your tongues. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that the Spirit is there. It's their love. It's their joy. Is their patience. Had a conversation this week with, uh, with one of the members of our, our church, and uh, she's a little frustrated by some of the things that were going on. and, and She was serving, and 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 didn't think that um, you know people were responding rightly to to the service, and and she was right. And I understand because I experienced it as well. And she said, "You know, I, I probably just won't. I just won't serve anymore." And I said, you know what? You're not going to do that, are you? Because the next time someone calls on you to serve, what are you going to do? And she said, you're right, Pastor. I'm going to serve. That is the Spirit of God. Because no matter what you're trying to do in the flesh, the Spirit says, no. It is love, joy. Peace and patience, long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness. These are what I'm producing in you. That's how you know. I didn't need to ask her if she spoke in tongues to know that the Spirit was in her life. I heard it. And I didn't need an interpreter. I heard it. That's a spirit-filled life, beloved. It's producing fruit. Do you loathe sin? Do you love Christ? Are you looking fruitful? And then the last one, do you long for heaven? Do you long for heaven? Eternity has been set in our hearts, the Bible says. And you know what the Spirit is doing? The Spirit, the Bible says, is conforming us to the image of Christ so that our desire as believer more than anything is to see Jesus. I just want to see him. And that's, that's, that is what the Spirit is doing in your life. The Spirit is renewing you, is conforming you to the image of Christ so that you get less and less comfortable in this world and you long, long, more and more to be in the presence of Jesus. You know what the Spirit-filled believer says? Come, Lord Jesus, Come. The spirit-filled believer cries out, Maranatha. The spirit-filled believer is living in this world, always looking for and longing for the next. Spirit-filled believer has his mind set on things above and not on things below. The spirit-filled Christian is the heavenly-minded Christian. Do you long to see Jesus? Where does that come from? Before you were saved, did you long to see Jesus? Do you long for him to come? That's the work of the Spirit in your life. That you long for the uniting, the full uniting of the bride and the bridegroom in eternal bliss. That is the work of the Spirit in your life. Do you long for heaven? Do you loathe your sin? Do you love Christ? Are you bearing and looking fruitful? I don't care if you speak in tongues. That's the reality in your life. The Spirit of God is real in your life. Here's the question I have for you this morning. beloved: Have you received the Holy Spirit? Francis Chan wrote a book on the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God. I would like to say not so much forgotten him, but I think we have trivialized the Holy Spirit. We trivialize him in the way that we talk. We talk about him as if he's an it or a thing. You see it in the songs that we sing. Spirit of the Lord is here. I feel it in the atmosphere. Some of y'all probably sing that. You probably got on your iPod. You got to go home, turn the radio, you're going to be bopping to that nonsense, that heresy. Spirit of the Lord is here. I feel it in the atmosphere. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Is that right? Listen, beloved, Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is God. And He comes to reveal to us Jesus so that we might worship Christ. And when we worship in the Spirit, we are worshiping Jesus. When we worship in truth, we are worshiping Jesus. There's no worship without the Spirit. There's no knowledge of Christ without the Spirit. There's no understanding of the cross without the Spirit. There's no salvation without Holy Spirit. And so the question this morning, I beg of you to answer it. Do you have Holy Spirit this morning? Is he? your portion, your comfort, and your guide? Has he opened your eyes so that you might see Jesus? Has he opened your ears so that you might hear Jesus? Has he opened your heart so that love for Jesus is over Do you have Holy Spirit this morning? It's my prayer. And not a person leaves here without that assurance, beloved. Let's pray.